for uh, allowing me to be here. Um, we are just now meeting, so we probably got started late like you guys do. We are a church plant uh, as well. We planted and started about four or five years before uh, Josh came to Bloomington, knew Josh's wife from Purdue University when we were there on staff with a Christian ministry. That's how we kind of got to know each other initially when we came to Bloomington, but our church starts at 1010, so they probably started five minutes late, so they're now worshiping as I got to worship uh, with you. And thankfully, we have raised up folks in our church. It's always a good thing when I know I can leave the body and it's taken care of, that God has raised up men and women who love his body, his bride, the church. And so I'm grateful to be here this morning. I don't have any really profound words as I thought about how to come and give a charge to a church that's faithful, to ministers that are faithful. I'm like, what, what could I say to these men who who have served God with their lives, who have put their lives on display, have given their very lives to you. You know, I've been in ministry for 26 years. That's hard to believe, even for me. 26 years I've been in full-time Christian work. And as I think about those years and I think about what God's done, I'm just humble. I, I look back and I wonder, God, why me? Why, why use me? Why this? And my call originally was to come and serve the local church. And he told me from day one, 1998, sitting in a conference looking out a window. It wasn't even a conference, it was about church. It was about parachurch ministry. As I was sitting in that seat, the person speaking said, would you be willing to have a Jeremiah ministry? Would you be willing to have a ministry in which you serve God's people, you give your life, you proclaim the reality of the pain and suffering of the world and what's coming, and see one convert your entire life. Knowing that in 70 years, your message would be what people would pick up to find encouragement to claim what God had given. And I sat in that seat, maybe like you, and thought, no, I'm not willing. <laughs> I said, no way, God. We got the Holy Spirit now. Big things happen. Like, you don't call anybody to that kind of work anymore. And God was like, I'll be patient with you. For the next 10 years, God worked on my heart to surrender my life, like Josh did, to the local church. To say, God, this is your plan. There isn't a plan B. This is your bride. And I want to serve your bride as you are the bridegroom, as an under-shepherd to you. So this morning, as I thought about coming and giving this ordination service, I want to encourage you with this. Fulfill your ministry. That's what the book of 2 Timothy, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. We won't be going anywhere else. I love to preach the scriptures. You don't know why? Because my words aren't very good. God's word is perfect. So we're going to walk through 2 Timothy pretty quickly. And in 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, it says, As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. All of us have a ministry. All of us are called to be priests, the priesthood of believers, the Bible says. We're all called to, to fulfill the ministries that God has given us, and the primary way to do that is through the local church, to give ourselves like you do in a family to a bride. And this is the bride of Christ. We, we select a certain bride to give ourselves to. Paul, who writes this letter, was giving himself to the Gentile bride for the most part, while Peter, who was giving himself to the Jewish 
church or Jewish bride at the same time. He and Paul even had arguments. Paul had to travel twice, leave the mission field to have an argument with Peter about race. You think the early church was perfect? It was a mess, just like church today is a mess. But they gave themselves fully to it, to the ministry of it, which is what Esteban and Joel have chosen to do, is to give themselves and ask their wives and their children to lay their lives down for you, to fulfill the ministry that's not theirs, but the ministry that is God through them, which is the same thing you are called to do. Paul's ministry was hard. He even listed in different parts of the scripture, he was flogged by the Jews five times with 39 lashes. He was beaten by the Romans with rods three times. He was pummeled with rocks. He was shipwrecked three times. He was adrift on the open sea for night and day. He traveled hard year and in and year out, normally by foot. He was forded by rivers, fought off by robbers, struggled with friends and enemies. He endured risky conditions in the city and the wilderness during storms at sea. He was betrayed by people he thought were dear friends. He served in hard labor. He was often lonely, sleepless, hungry, and freezing cold. He felt the constant weight of responsibility for supporting, training, and encouraging all the churches that he had tried to encourage and plant. And he experienced deep depression. The call to ministry is a call to surrender to God and nothing else, to heaven and forever and nothing else. And that's exactly what we find in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am called by the will of God. This wasn't my will be done. This was his will be done. I surrender to him and it's the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. You realize the name Christ Jesus is not like a first name, last name, right? Christ Jesus means Messiah who is Yahweh who saves. That's what Jesus' name means. Jesus Christ means this is the Yahweh of the Old Testament who is the savior of the world, who is also the Messiah who would come to save. That is a loaded phrase. And in Jewish culture, if you were to say that, you made a war happen. Because you were declaring this guy is God himself and the Messiah. So whenever they said Jesus Christ in this culture, it was the declaration of rebellion against all other authority but his. And Paul comes out and he says, he is the ultimate authority and what he calls me to give my life to is the ultimate authority For my life. And then he writes to Timothy. Why to Timothy? Paul in this moment is sitting in prison. This is the last letter he writes before he is martyred and killed by the Romans. He is in chains because he has simply preached the gospel. He hasn't done anything illegal or evil, he's just preached Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. He's sitting in prison, and this is the last letter he writes to give the charge to Timothy. To say, Timothy, the church is yours. I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm gone. And it is yours now. Take it. Run with it. And he encourages this young man and says, Timothy, do this. And he says, the reason you need to do this is for the same motivation that I do it. It's for him. It's for his bride. And he says to Timothy, my beloved child. Joel and Esteban, I don't know if you know this, but 
Josh thinks of you that way. He may not communicate it well. He may not know how to say it exactly right because we're not really like your children. I mean, we're all God's children. But I'm telling you, as I've prayed with him, as I've wrestled with him, he loves you deeply. He cares for you and your families. He cares for you all as well, not just for them. And he says, to my beloved child, and then he says these words, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Look at this. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. We just dismiss the kids. If you're a parent, be 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 a Eunice. Be a Lois. Raise up your children to love Christ and love his church. Teach them how to to come under the authority of the church, not just to keep trying to find the best-looking church you can find. Because there's always a better-looking church out there, just like there's another better-looking woman out there, or a better-looking man. There's always someone better, and God says, you can keep looking for better, or you can surrender to what I've asked you to do. And yes, it will cost you, but chasing something will cost you as well. And so Paul writes, and he says, grace and mercy and peace. Do you, do you know the grace and mercy and peace of God? That's what Jesus offers. Our world doesn't offer those things. Only God can. Grace is unmerited favor we don't deserve. Do you see the church family like Paul sees it and gave to Timothy? He goes on and he says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You're going to be laying on hands in just a moment. It's something the church has been doing for centuries. It's the idea of blessing. It's the idea of love and touch and affirmation which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of love and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Most people don't want to share in suffering. We look at suffering and find every way we can to avoid it, not embrace it, not believe that it's the call of God on our life like Jesus was called to suffer on our behalf. You want to know the reason why, if you know Jesus Christ and you have committed your life and he has exposed himself, do you want to know why you haven't been sucked up into heaven? Because he's asked you to stay here and suffer. There's no other reason. That's why he came from heaven to earth. He didn't come from heaven to earth because it was like earth was so much better than heaven. He came because he knew he had to suffer on our behalf. Joel and Esteban And Josh give their lives because they understand there's no other option. They ask their families to give their lives and lay it on the altar because there's not another option. We suffer together for the sake of the bride, for the family of God. 
And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's like, Timothy, don't be surprised, he says a little bit later. He says, who saved us and called us by a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. In other words, it's not about your works. It's not about earning and saying, God, look at all I've done. Look at all I've, you owe me. I deserve. Look, it's not about, it's not like Joel and Esteban kept getting better so that they could get this position. That's not how it works. It's a surrendered heart from the beginning to say, God, I surrender my heart to you. Do what you want. If you want me to be an engineer, I'll do that. If you want me to be a a custodian, I'll do that. If you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. This morning, I went to clean bathrooms at our church before I came here. You want to know why? Because the city of Bloomington can't give anybody a key that's not an employee of the city. And the building we use is a city building. I was cleaning it for free, and they said, we need to pay you now so you can have a key to open the building. That's government 101 right there, right? So I I am a custodian for the glory of God. You want to know who I learned that from? The first church, the second church I ever served in, there was a woman named Diane who would sing her praises when she cleaned the bathrooms. And one day as a youth pastor, I walked in and asked her, how can you have so much joy when literally people leave their crap for you? Literally. How can you have so much joy? And she goes, because this is my act of service and everybody's going to have to use the bathroom eventually so I get to serve everybody. Isn't that great, Matt? Now you have a nice day. I got to get back to work. And she started singing again. And I thought, I, and she told me, she goes, Matt, this is my spiritual act of worship to clean toilets. You talk about being humbled as a young minister. That's what Paul's doing with Timothy. He looks and he says, It's not by your works, it's by his grace and purpose, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, he says the whole Bible, this was the plan. In verse 10, he says, Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, the good news, for which I was appointed, Paul says, a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. In other words, Paul says, I understand the mission of God so clearly that I embrace the suffering. I don't try to get it out of my life. I don't wonder, why is this happening to me? I'm like, yes, it's happening to me, which means I'm like Jesus. That's awesome. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time looking at suffering that way. I've gone through some serious health issues over the last six months. They still can't figure out what's wrong with me. I've lost like 16 pounds. Yeah, it looks great. I didn't want to lose 16 pounds. And every day I have to wake up and say, God, I am yours. This body is yours. And you fight through that. And he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believe. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul is saying to Esteban, to Joel, to me, to Josh, to all of us who want to fulfill a ministry. He's like, God's trying to entrust you with something. He's trying to entrust you with a marriage, with a bride called the church. And with children called the family of God. What would it look like if we prioritized his bride above our own brides and husbands? Prioritized his children above our own children. I don't mean like modern church, like you lay yourself down on the altar to let church ruin your family. We've seen that before. I'm talking about the family agreeing to give themselves to something greater than themselves. That's what we're called and charged to do as ministers. He goes on and he says, look at this. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, 
guard the good deposit entrusted to you. God has done the work. He put his spirit in you. At the moment you prayed to receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. You get a power source you didn't have before. And when that spirit indwells, God is like, now I'm working from the inside out. It's no longer the pressure of the world. I'm changing you from the inside. This would have been crazy to Jews because they believed in the temple and the holy of holies. I don't want the Holy Spirit in me. Because if you get the Holy Spirit on you, you die in the temple if you have any sin. I don't want him in me because then I'm going to be in trouble. And God says, no, I'm putting him in you so that I can kill the sin in you. I can do away with it. I can sanctify you and make you holy. Because I love you. And I want to put you on display. He goes on to say this. Verse 15, you are aware that all who are in Asia, look at Paul's heart. He's writing to try to encourage Timothy. And the reason he's writing is because he's seen so many abandon the bride. He's seen so many leave the marriage. So many abandon their children. He's seen so much pain and suffering. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus, Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul or Timothy was pastoring at Ephesus. And this is this Anisiphorus who sought to find hearts Can I just tell you, I've heard Josh over and over again pray for your hearts. I've heard him over and over again break for people, try to to get them to see the truth that Paul talks about, and they've wandered away from the faith. That's the charge and the call of a minister is to call people to this and to remember those who have abandoned so that we can pray for them and to cheer on those who are giving their life for the bride. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Joel and Esteban, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His grace. And what you have heard from me in the presence, Paul says, of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Don't be surprised. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not concerned or is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Be strengthened by his grace. And there is a process by which the Lord gives understanding. And that understanding, you ready for this, comes from surrendering our lives and surrendering our flesh and surrendering ourselves. And when we decide to keep our flesh and keep ourselves and what's in it for me, what's in it for my family, what's in it for what I deserve, when we have that mentality, we're in trouble. We won't grow in our understanding. Then Paul goes on and he says, remember Jesus Christ. He keeps saying that, Jesus' name, over and over again. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, there's the word again, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. It is not bound. The word of God is true. 
Man, i got to go back to the Word. The reason I give this to you this morning is because I've got nothing better than this letter to charge you with. It goes on and it says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with Him, with Jesus we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. But look at this. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. See, we can struggle. We can struggle with our faith. We can wrestle with our faith. But the great thing about God and His grace is He keeps bringing us back to Him. He keeps bringing us back and not allowing us to deny what He has done in our lives. See, strugglers are not denying Him. They're fighting, they're farming, and they're training like the athlete, the farmer, and the soldier we just read about. He goes on to say this, remind them of these things, so I remind you. It says, charge them, so I charge you. Before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. You know, there are people today that say the resurrection has already happened. They say you can get your blessings of heaven now. You just call them down from heaven. You get what you want now. You can have your resurrection now. You can have heaven now. There's no need to surrender. There's no need to suffer. There's no need to lay down your life. There's no need to, to stay in a hard marriage or, or, to, or to pray for and suffer with hard children and discipline hard children. There's no need for any of that. You can call your blessing down from heaven now and be resurrected right where you are. Baloney, Paul says. Yes, there is a resurrection, but it's not yet. I'm still in this dead body. I can't wait to get out of it goes on and he says, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows. Let me ask you, do you know? He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what this world is all about, what what our lives are supposed to be all about. And he gives us this letter. And then he says, look at this. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, from sin, from wrong thinking, from all those things. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Have you set yourself apart? Have you come before and said, I, I, want to, I just want to set myself apart. I want to be away from the sin. I, I want Him. If you haven't, I encourage you, do it. In your heart, say, God, I am yours. Your bride is mine, and I will give myself to it. Oh, and by the way, it's a messy bride. Jesus came and gave him life, his life to sinners. He gave his life to sinners like you and me. And then he says, now here's what's going to be the difficulty in setting yourself apart. You ready for this? 
So flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's the church. Having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. May God perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. If you have never had to do this with someone close to you in your life, you don't know the pain of this. I had to do this with my oldest daughter and Josh prayed for me and walked me through that year and a half, two years of us cutting my daughter loose. Praying that God would not kill her. Praying that God would bring her to repentance. Not knowing what would happen. And watching her heart change and come back to us and be restored to us. Such a picture of the gospel. And there's some of you whose kids haven't been restored yet. There are people who have left this body, this church, and they haven't been restored. And our hearts should break, but it should not compromise, Paul says. He goes on and he says this, But understand this, in the last days there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Have you watched a commercial recently? Every commercial is, you deserve, you owe it to yourself. Talk to your doctor and tell him what to do. That's every commercial. You're your own God. You have your rights. You do what you want to do. And let me just tell you, some churches encourage that behavior. Lovers of money. You know, we don't teach financial peace in our church. We teach budgeting. We don't teach Dave Ramsey. We teach how to handle money properly and steward money. But my problem with not teaching Dave Ramsey is just one thing. And I'm not against Dave. We actually use his book for some different things. But can I just tell you, all I need from Dave Ramsey is one chapter. I need a chapter at the end of his book that says, you may be called to sell everything, give away your retirement, and live as a pauper. Just thought I'd let you know that my program might not be for you. Because God calls some to that. And that isn't in his book. And it sells well in our culture, especially among Christians, because we love money. We love security. We love safety. We love to think that we're leaving a legacy for the next generation, and the stock market could crash tomorrow, and your legacy is gone. I'm not against saving. I'm not against preparing. I'm not against passing on to the next generation at all. We just need to have the conversation of when it crosses the line that we begin loving money and things and future more than heaven and his bride. He says, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasing, or unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, whatever makes you happy. I just want my kids to be happy. I do not want my kids to be happy the way the world says it. Have you ever read Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes? That is the worst plan for happiness I've ever seen. And yet the word blessed in the Beatitudes means happy. Blessed are you when you are poor and wiped out in spirit. Praise God. Blessed are you when you mourn. Aren't you just so happy when you're crying your head off? Oh, yes. Blessed are you when you're hungry and thirsty. No, I'm not. I'm hungry and thirsty. 
See, Jesus turns everything on its head and he says, what are you depending on? He goes on and he says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then Paul says this to Timothy. I say this to you and Joel and Esteban, avoid such people. It is easy to look around at other churches. It is easy to look around at other ministries. It's easy to look around at other families and start to covet and think, well, if I was there, if we were there, then I could have this or have that, or I could... Don't do it. Give yourself to this bride. Die for her. This is the local bride that God's called you to. This is the bride that's going to lay its hands on you. Give yourself. He goes on to say this. He says, but... For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Can I just talk to your wives for a moment? Bloomington, I tell church planters and always have when they come into Bloomington, I tell them this. Welcome to Bloomington. Your wives are going to get shredded in this town. This town chews up women and spits it out like no tomorrow. Men are not called to lead. Men are not called to die for their wives. Ain't mama happy, ain't nobody happy, so just keep your wife happy is the mantra of our day. I'm not saying we try to make our wives miserable. We're to love them, but we're to love them into the bride. We're to ask them to surrender their lives with us. That is a hard thing, especially in this town when it's all about women's rights and all the things that you see that you start to look around and see they go in on four vacations this year. We haven't taken a vacation in five. Well, yeah, they got all kinds of money to take a vacation because they're not giving 20% of their income in tithes and offerings. I'm having an eternal vacation I'm waiting for. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get there someday. It doesn't mean I don't take a vacation every once in a while. It just means I don't look around and get in this trap. And to those of you who are wise, be very careful. The world is trying to use you. Satan is trying to use you to take down the ministry of your family and your husband. That's what this says. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified in regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. He goes on and he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me, he says. You've followed it. Then he goes on and he says, At Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. By the way, he says, the Lord rescued me from these the Lord doesn't rescue him from this persecution. He stays in chains and he dies. Sometimes the Lord rescues. Sometimes he asks us to go through it. Indeed, all who desire, look at this, verse 12, all who desire, not some, not people who live in third world countries, not in the West, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and be de being deceived. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. And he looks and he says, you, however, Joel and Esteban, follow the teaching, the conduct. I know Josh's humility. 
I've seen it on display. We have wept together more times than I can count over our own sin and our own wretchedness. And why does God allow us the opportunity to pastor and do what we do? And I have heard him weep for you guys. I have heard him say, I want people to believe this. I want this to be their aim in life. He goes on and he says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writing, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love that you guys keep the kids in service with you. We do the same thing. Keep them in and then, and then bring them back. That's what we do. Because we want the kids to hear the word of God. We want to see the parents worshiping and families together. And he says, these are able to make you wise, these words, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed, or is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Can I just tell you, you all have pastors that love God's word. They love his word. They are going to lead you to his word. They aren't going to come up with their own words. They're not going to hand you some slick Christian book that just came off the shelves. They're going to take you to the word of God every time, and they're going to study it and dissect it and ask God to reveal in the power of his Holy Spirit the truth of these words. I have seen them. I've prayed with them. I know that's their heart. And man, you should rejoice in that because they're training you how to do that with your own kids and your own families and your own workplaces. They're training and equipping you. Verse 6 of chapter 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come, Paul says. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Joel and Esteban, I pray that that would be said of you. I pray that this would be said of you, that at the end of your life, your wives and your children would stand and say, This was my dad. This was our pastor. I have older children now. One's getting ready to have our first grandchild in January. Another one graduates from college and a senior that's getting ready to go from college. And I have asked forgiveness so many times for my kids. And I have sought their heart. We have read through the scriptures. I have discipled my children. No guy could take my daughter out until I took him out. We went on a date first and I found out, do you have a testimony? And let me hear it. Everybody thought that was so weird. My daughters loved that. Because I said this, why would I hand the keys of a brand new car to some 16-year-old that shows up on my doorstep and wants to take my prized car for a spin, but I'll throw the keys to my daughter's heart anytime she wants them and he wants them? Not happening. And I always told those young men when I sit down with them, I said, hear, hear me out. I have a heart for you to walk with Jesus. This isn't about you and my daughter. This is about idolatry. I do not want my daughter to be an idol in your life, and I do not want you to be an idol in her life. God kills idols. I don't want either of you dead. I want you to walk with God, and I'm going to help you do that. And there have been a number of those men that dated, they went on dates, that decided not to stay together, that I am still discipling to this day, one I'm going to meet with in two weeks. Guys, God has a plan for us, and he says, keep the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, with the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also all. That means all of you that have loved his appearing. Are you longing for his appearing? Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, look at this, in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Are you in love with the world more than you're in love with Jesus? 
goes on and he says, Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Ministry is lonely. There are going to be moments where it just feels like there's nothing but God here in this workplace, in this family. God says, keep giving. Verse 411, as we wrap up, here's what Paul says, and this is a beautiful thing. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. If you know who Mark was, Mark was the one that Paul refused to take on the mission field years earlier because Mark deserted Paul on the mission field. And Barnabas said, I still believe in Mark. I will take Mark with me. And Paul said, great, you take him. I want nothing to do with him. I'll take Silas with me. And at the end of Paul's life, he's restoring Mark to ministry. He's looking at Mark and saying, just be sure you tell Mark I've seen the change in his life. Be sure you tell Mark he has been faithful because I heard him and I needed to hurt him. I needed to tell him the truth, but man, he is walking with, tell him. Thycius, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, Timothy, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and the books and above all the parchments. I love this that Paul's practical. Sometimes we just need practical things. I'm cold, bring me a coat. (laughs) I need some parchments. I need something to write with. He goes on and he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. The Apostle Paul had no one standing by him when he went to trial the first time. Sound familiar? Jesus? There's going to come a moment in your life where there's no one standing with you. It may be on this side of eternity. It will definitely be when you get to the other side of eternity and stand before God, the righteous and holy judge. The great part is, if we know Jesus, he's always standing with us, which is what Paul knows. And he says, when you come, bring these things. And then he goes on and he says, look at this. At my first offense, they didn't. But look what his heart is. They all deserted me, but it may it not be charged against them. Can I just tell you, that's these men's hearts that lead you. They're going to tell you the truth. They may have to avoid you. They may have to dismiss people from the church. That's called church discipline. Matthew 18 lays it out. It's the way we're supposed to do things. I had to do that with my own very flesh and blood daughter. But can I tell you? The heart of them is never, we want them out. The heart of them is, we want them restored. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might fully be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. That's what we're doing in Bloomington. (laughs) That all might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will rescue you and take you into his kingdom? There's not a kingdom here that's going to last, but there's one that's coming. If you don't, surrender to him. It's real and it's true. And it's coming. And he says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Tropimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Even Paul couldn't heal everybody. Maybe you're ill, you're sick, you're struggling. Sometimes God just asks us to keep serving, to go here and serve, even when we don't feel well. Do your best to come to me before winter. I love that little comment. This is so human. I asked you to bring me a cloak, remember? Reminder number two, it's cold, winter's coming, bring the cloak. It's like this little reminder to your kids, you know, like, like okay, do this, honey. 
okay, do this, honey. <laughs> I'm cold. <laughs> and then he says, Ebulus sends greetings to you, as do Perdens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. And then he ends with this as I end. Bloomington Bible Church, Esteban, Joel, Josh, the Lord be with your spirits and grace be with you. And to those of you in the congregation, I say the same thing. The Lord be with your spirit. If your spirit's hurting, the Lord is with you. If it's rejoicing, he is with you. Be with your spirit and allow his grace to be upon you. If you think you can't be forgiven, it's a lie. God stretches out for forgiveness. His grace wants to wash over you. And that's what we do here this morning. We come before God to say, Lord, we are here with you, with your people gathered, with your spirit. We ask for your grace to pour out upon us. And may you send us out from this place. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for the opportunity to make you known. Thank you for their patience to allow me just to read your word with your people. I, I never get tired of just talking about who you are and your scriptures. Lord, thank you for these ministers, for Joel and Esteban and Josh. We are, we are broken men. We are nothing without your spirit and without your word as our guide. But thank you for your long suffering with us. Thank you for your endurance that you've given us and the Holy Spirit that reminds us of how forgiven and loved we are. And I pray that the people of this congregation would fulfill their ministry as husbands, as wives, as children. Lord, I pray that they would fulfill their ministries the where you've called them to into their workplaces. And I pray that they would be willing to do it and know that suffering and persecution will probably be the result. And it's okay. It's okay. I pray for wives to come alongside their husbands and lay down their lives. I pray for husbands to lay down their lives for their brides that you've given, the bride of the church and the bride that they're married to. And Lord, together as God's people, we come before you as Paul did. We come before you with our chains, with our mess, and we ask you to change us in your name. Amen. church have all of our love and respect right? a man who actually carries the word of god according to his office with authority who can find today uh, so very thankful for him and his willingness to come and uh charge charge all of us really and uh and we had um our ordination council uh a couple months ago back in august and it was kind of a historic moment in Bloomington in some ways. I mean, it sounds weird to say that because it just sounds like you're tooting your own horn or something, but I just think God's being gracious is the point. And um, when I came to Bloomington, there was no unity amongst churches that really were committed to the Word of God. It just wasn't unity. It was just all disheveled. Everything was disheveled. And very different than where I had come from. Where I'd come from, there was much more uh, co-laboring in the gospel and, and much more willingness to respect one another's 
discipline in the churches and um, much more faithfulness and, and unity in that regard amongst those who were committed to Scripture. Here, it just didn't exist, and um, we've longed for that work, work to grow, um, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, and to labor for that over these years. And, and so when we did the ordination council, it was just the sweetest thing. It was just the sweetest thing in God's grace because we had three churches represented from Bloomington, um, all committed to Scripture, you know, and all of fairly like mind in how to think about life and the Christian life and love of Christ's bride and shepherding the flock and taking following Jesus seriously. And so we had uh, Stephen Baker from Trinity, um, whom you all know. We had Matt and myself, and um, all represented locally in order to examine Joel and Esteban to ask them any questions about um, their character, uh, their conduct, their doctrine, you know, their skill in ministry, their families, their children, their wives, and um, to have uh, three men locally to come together to do anything at all, pretty much anywhere, is almost impossible. And so it was a gift of grace to have. Then we had another pastor from, and then uh, Carl and Chris, but then another pastor from up in northern Indiana there join also and to do the examination process. And... Um, So the first thing I want to say about it was it felt kind of like a historic moment in the growth of the unity of the like-minded churches committed to Scripture in Bloomington. And it was just, I'll just tell you, it was the most precious thing to be there for it. And we're just really praying that we can keep kind of making that grow a little bit and be useful uh, amongst those who we feel like we actually do have actual real unity with. And uh, uh, we're not interested in a unity that's pretense. We're not interested in using the word unity as a, like when we don't actually have real unity with you because of your compromises of scripture, we're not bringing you into the circle, you know, just to use the word unity and add to the number. That's not what we're doing. But amongst those who we actually have unity with, we do want to see that really grow. And uh, we're very thankful that God's grace is doing that. Well, that work together in the ordination council, the ordination council brings to you their recommendation to ordain uh, Joel and Esteban to the office of pastor, which we will do now. Joel and Esteban, would you come forward? And um, the men of the church would be willing to come and lay hands on them, maybe over here where there's just a little bit of room. Men of the church, would you please come forward to lay hands on them? And a few of us, Carl and Chris and I, are going to pray over them. I do want to say that um, we know that they wouldn't be here without their wives and the character of their wives and uh, their children. And uh, it's just delightful to actually see God raise up families qualified for this work. So to the kiddos who are in here now who are a little older can understand this, Um, After we lay hands on uh, Mr. Barker and Mr. Garcia, we're going to call them Pastor Barker and Pastor Garcia because God has called them to be pastors. And today is the day we officially recognize that uh, before the Church of Jesus Christ publicly. So 
we're just waiting for the rest of them to come on in here and for the rest of the workers in there with the little ones. By the way, thank you, Joel, to remind me to actually make sure this happened. Joel said thank you to Esteban for reminding him to remind me (laughs) that this was supposed to happen. (laughs) So to everyone who's just joining us, we're just getting ready to lay hands on uh, Joel and Esteban. To the men who are free, please come forward and we're going to lay hands on them and a few of us are going to pray. And uh, don't be shy about coming forward. We would be glad to have you. This is, uh, this is our recognition and affirmation of God's calling on their life to be to the office of pastor. So, um, Carl, or Chris, why don't you start? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your call of these men to become pastors of your people. Lord, we ask that you would prepare them for this great task. Help them to be the faithful men who teach faithful men who are able to teach others. Your word says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And we ask just that for these men. We ask that these men would always be increasing in the knowledge and wisdom of God. We pray that Joel and Esteban would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would walk in a manner worthy of what you've called them to that they would please you in all respects. Father, we pray that Joel and Esteban would continue bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen them with power according to your glorious might. Father, we pray that they would not be lazy in their doctrine, but Lord, instead let them speak things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Help them retain a standard of sound words and faith and love. Would they never handle or teach your truth carelessly? but instead guard the treasure that has been entrusted to them. We are confident that your spirit will do much through the work of these men. And we pray that it would bring you glory. In Christ's name. Father, what a privilege it has been to see your character being formed in these men and Joel and Esteban over the years. It's been a real pleasure, God, and a joy. And uh, we pray, God, that uh, they would continue to pursue uh, with all of their heart the work of the uh, giftings and the callings that you've called them to. We pray, God, for protection from temptation, the pitfalls that uh, happen to so many servants that are called of you, God. They, They drift away, God, into things of error. We pray against that. God, I pray that you would make them bold and yet keep them humble. We pray, God, that the character that you form in them and that you have formed will be an example to us and for generations to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Holy Father, you called David to shepherd your people with an upright heart and with a skillful hand, and this he did. He shepherded your people with a skillful hand. And Joel and Esteban need your mercy upon them to be skillful 
and their labor as shepherds of your people. Be merciful to them and help them to learn skills needed to sympathize with the sheep suffering under the weight of trial or sin or being sinned against. Be merciful to them to give them the skills to help the weak, to strengthen their hearts and encourage them and build them up for a holy obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help them to be skillful in admonishing the unruly, to be skillful in pursuing the wayward and lost sheep of Israel, laying down and leaving the 99 to go and pursue the one. Help them to be skillful in their teaching, to minister to your people and to build them up in truth and love and faith, to strengthen their hearts for endurance and suffering and give them hearts to endure suffering well as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. May their skills continue to be honed and grow with carefulness and love to your people until we are built up in truth and love, the fullness of the body that you have made us to be. In Jesus Christ's name, we give you thanks and praise, and we recognize your calling upon these men to the office of pastor according to your purposes and grace in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dear brothers. We can rejoice.